We want to show the real side of small business, the true small business life. There are a lot of misconceptions about small business and we want to give you a glimpse into the real life of a small business owner. The highs, the lows, the failures, the successes, the full small business life story so that you too can know that you are not alone on your small business journey and so that you can see the journey that many other small business owners have taken themselves. Remember to like, share, and comment so that many others can share in the small business life story. Hello, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How is 2021 treating you? Much better than 2020, but I think that's probably par for the course for everybody. I'm telling you, 20, you can probably, and we'll get into this later, but man, 2020 was just such an unusual year. I mean, you talk about flipping every single business model that we know, everything just got turned upside down in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I mean, it, it really forced people to reevaluate their business and look at where society is going and position themselves in a better spot. So when the pandemic ends or has ended at this point, I think they said the pandemic is over. Um, you know, your, your business is better positioned for the future and and the new the new normal i guess right well yeah i mean for lack of a better term it's absolutely true mckinsey and company released a study last summer it was interesting because they started before covid uh, but anyway the results of the study found that 73 percent of consumers purchased their goods online or on a mobile device and so it's like right. again we're all behaving digitally we look for things digitally we're not in a build and they will come a model anymore it's changed which isn't a bad thing but it's different Right. I'm not going to complain about everybody going online to do business now because that bodes well for me. <laughs> um, but uh, that does certainly impact the people that aren't taking advantage of the opportunities that are out there and, you know, the restaurants, things like that. If they don't change over to the whole, you know, new digital menus and different things that are out there, um, they're really going to be behind the eight ball and have mm -hmm. a hard time coming back out of this thing. So true. So true. So before I ask for your background here, I do want to quickly thank our sponsors, McGraw Capital Partners, Merchant Masters, Job Foreman's, Turtle Creek Financial Group, and Exceva for making this possible. And now, Mike, please, you and I have known each other for several years. Who is Mike Ross? For those listening who don't know Mike, who is Mike Ross? So originally from the upstate New York area and had an opportunity with uh, Yellow Book, Yellow Pages at the time to relocate down here to Texas to open up an office. And, uh, you know, kind of just moved down here and after a few years of working for Yellow Book down here, decided that corporate America wasn't something that I wanted to be a part of anymore. And uh, that's when I decided to go out on my own and start 91 Media and do my own thing. So. Um, my big, one of my big hobbies is, uh, as you well know, is the emergency management, uh, running, the, the community emergency response team, which is a passion of mine, um, and, uh, keeps me busy. So between oh, business yes. and that, it's very busy. You never get a call at midnight. That's never happened. No, we don't get calls at midnight or two o'clock in the morning to go look for missing people. That never happens. So how did you get into that program? About, uh, I'd say 12 years ago, I decided looking at the economic 
landscape that was before us uh, and seeing where things are going, decided that it was probably a good idea to get more prepared uh, in case bad things were to happen, disasters, economy, whatever. Uh, so I started getting more involved in, in that side of things. And that led me to CERT, which was, uh, it's all volunteer, right. uh, getting called out by law enforcement and police to help with disaster recovery or missing person searches. And now we're doing the COVID testing and vaccination center support. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things for us to do. Um, so I've been involved with CERT now for about 10 years and took the program over two and a half years ago. So now I'm responsible for all six counties. Oh dang! And so for where we are in Texas, that covers a wide berth. Yeah, that's a it's a good sized area. If you try to drive from one end of our area to the other, it'd probably take you two hours to get Def there. From definitely start to big right. diameter there. Yeah, which is why it's important for us to get members in all the areas so that we can better serve the, the community in the different areas. Because you can't count on somebody from Princeton to drive down to Canton for a tornado or something mm -hmm. like that. So exactly. we, we need to have people in all the different areas. For sure. For sure. So then 91 media, you were at yellow pages, you started 91 media. Tell, tell, talk to us a little bit about that journey. Cause obviously with the changing economy, 91 media has changed, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, towards the end of the time of the Yellow Pages, obviously, you know, we hear from everybody, nobody uses Yellow Pages, everybody's going online. That was pretty much the standard objection that we heard from every single person that we walked into. Um, the problem was, is at the time, uh, Yellow Book really wasn't positioned well to do the job on the digital marketplace that they needed to be. And, uh, you know, after probably a year of trials and tribulations with that type of, you know, going through those and, and losing income and customers because of failures at the corporate level, that kind of drove me to say, hey, you know, why spin my wheels selling digital products with a company that can't do it when I can do it myself? Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just decided to pack my bags and start my own my own deal. <laughs> Take the leap of faith, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a pretty common path for small business owners. That's why the entrepreneur is so fascinating. They see the opportunity, and very often they have a frontline view of it. So they're able to very clearly say, hey, this is what's wrong with the current situation. This is right. what I can do better. This is why there's a business opportunity. And the problem was I, I, I couldn't affect the change that needed to take place um, you know, with the, at the company, because the people that needed to not be there anymore are employed by somebody else other than myself. So I really don't have the opportunity to make any changes and, you know, you're just pretty much spinning your wheels mm -hmm. and True. hoping that something magically is going to change at corporate for the best. And as we know in business, magic doesn't happen yeah. like that. You don't see magical changes. It takes leadership. It takes initiative. And it takes hard work to make it happen. Right. Right. So then going transitioning to uh, 91 Media, roughly what year did you start it? And what did you start it as coming out of Yellow, Yellow Page Austin area? 2013. Okay, 2013. So I and just so, hit eight years. Congrats. Congrats. That's a big one. Um, 
so you started off 91 media as how would you define it at that point in 2013 how would you market 91 media because obviously media has a very broad term yeah so um i mean in the beginning i was pretty much focused mostly just on building websites and doing uh you know seo and that type of thing uh now um i'm i'm slowly migrating my business uh I'm still going to continue to do the web design and the SEO, but I'm really trying to move and grow a part of my business, which is in the emergency management side, uh, building apps for communities uh, to be able to communicate with their citizens after a disaster. So, you know, we saw this after the ice storm here, you know, everybody's like, where are the shelters? You know, what are the hours? You know, all these questions. And then they go to social media to look for the, look for the answers. And we all know everything you read on social media is accurate. Um, so what the apps allow a, a county or a city to do is be able to provide a portal with accurate information that can be updated in real time uh, so that if something were to happen, the public can get the information they need to uh, make decisions for themselves and their families as to what they're going to do. Um, and that's the side of my business that I'm, I'm focusing on this year to, to try to grow. Can you talk a little bit about the app development side of things? Because obviously we had the big burst over, I think it was like five, 10 years ago or so. It was kind of like the big introduction of it. And now they're kind of like two trains of thought. One says it's over commoditized. The other says you have to have apps to really engage with your audience. Obviously, it's going to vary upon your business, your industry, your size and scale, so on and so forth. But can you elaborate a little bit on that topic, please? The most important thing, really, if you're going to get an app for your business or organization is to make it an integral part of your business. If you invest in building an app and you just look at it as a website or something that you have and you don't really build it into your business, it won't be successful. And you're going to think it was a waste of money. Um, I turned down... I would say nine out of 10 app opportunities because it doesn't take me long to have a short conversation with somebody to determine that they really don't have any plan with the app, right? I mean, if you go to Whataburger, for instance, every single time you go through the drive-through, they ask you if you're going to be using the Whataburger app today for your rewards, right? Mm -hmm. So unless, unless you're doing that kind of thing or and promoting it with signage or tabletop table tents or, or anything along those lines you're really not going to get the activity from the app that you want to um, because like you're saying a lot of people have app burnout you know the the average user downloads zero apps a month so if you're going to get your app onto somebody's phone it's going to need to be something that they want and something that they're going to use um, you know, I, I don't down. I, I'm in the business, and I don't download apps hardly at all. But right. But for the restaurants and things like that that I go to on a regular basis, it's great to get the rewards and the specials that you can only get through the app. You know, mm -hmm. um, restaurants. I mean, if a restaurant's not taking advantage of you know texting marketing or a mobile app technology in today's marketplace, I, I don't know how they're going to stay in business. 
it's really very much of an engagement tool. I think it's something that a lot of people um, falsely try to use or incorrectly use social media. Social media apps and engagement tools, particularly for people who are already your customers, is to kind of make a raving fan rave even more, so to speak, to get more engagement, to get them coming back for more. And when you don't build it properly, when you don't have a plan, like you're saying, it's going to die by the wayside. Right. You know, and, and, you know, with engagement in social media and Facebook, for instance, I mean, you can have a thousand followers on your Facebook page. But unless you're boosting the post, only about 200 of those people are ever seeing anything that you post, right? Right. Now, if you can get them to opt in to um, a text list, for instance, it's much more, it's much less invasive than an app, right? Mm-hmm. And and all the apps I build are not the, the well. Let me rephrase that. Most of the apps I build are not the type where you have to go to the app store and download it from the app store. It's it's a web-based app. It's a, called a progressive web app that is able to be visited just by clicking a link. So if you can get somebody on a text list, text list, right? Um, it's very easy to send out a text to all those people and include a link to the app right inside the text. So mm-hmm. you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the people that are more than happy to get on your text list. Um, and then you can get them on your app because once they click the link, the app will ask them if they want to add the icon to their home screen. And then it, you know, now you're on their phone without them actually having to go to the app store and download the app, which is what most people don't want to do because they don't want to take up space on their phone or for mm-hmm. whatever reason, they just don't want to download apps. And that again, goes back to your point about having a plan for the use, because just pulling a tool out of the toolbox doesn't do anything. It needs to feed a bigger vision. It needs to be a part of the overall strategy. Otherwise, it's just another step in the process. And the more steps you have in the process, the worse. Even if they're flashy steps, for lack of a better term, you're slowing down Mm -hmm. that customer journey. That's the last thing you want to do as a business owner. You know, the one thing I always tell people when we're, you know, putting their website together or talking about their app is, is you want to be able to get the customer from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Point B being that point of sale opportunity, right? Exactly. So if you make a customer click three times on your website, every one of those clicks is responsible for the need for a click is responsible for losing a large percentage of your users. So by the time they get to the final page, you've probably lost two thirds of all the users that you wanted to get there in the first place. So minimizing the number of clicks it takes to get to the quote money page, uh, the contact form or, or whatever it is you want them to get to is really important. And that's why you know I always ask people, what is, what is the most important thing you wanna get out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and let's focus on making sure that that is as easy as possible. Well, again, that all comes back to being customer centric. I think it's a right. very um, easy misnomer, or what's the right way to say it? A very easy mistake for small business owners to make is to build something with an internal goal. Not that internal goals are bad, but when you're building something like an app, you need to build it with that customer centric mindset because the customer is going to be the one who's spending all the time in the app. If it's not making their life right. easier, if it's not making uh, your product or service easier to buy, it defeats the whole purpose of it. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, SEO, you know, people will give me a term that is their industry's jargon, but what does the customer call it, right? You might call it, you might call it a widget, 
but your customers call it something else. And you, you need to use the terminology that the general public is using as well as your technology, your, your industry jargon, because the, the, the common person may not know your terminology, but some might. So you, you need to, you need to work both of those angles to make mm -hmm. sure that you're capturing everybody on both sides. And then it also comes down to the specific marketing campaign too, because if you're trying to, if you have a very broad marketing campaign that you're trying to just basically bring people in and kind of build awareness, you absolutely do not want to use jargon. However, right. if you have a raise or laser focused target market that understands everything you do to the nth degree, and when they type in that jargon term and they know exactly right. what they're looking for, then that might be okay. But again, if you don't have that customer avatar built, right. if you don't have a plan to reach them and for lack of a better term, court them into the sale, nothing you do is going to work because you don't bring people into your business. You don't get people to buy from you by shooting from the hip on a sustainable level. It's yeah, right. Like it's, it's a matter of knowing your customer, knowing your target audience and, and reaching them appropriately. You know, if they're, if they're ignorant, talk to them like they're ignorant. If they're highly educated on your, your industry, your topic, then you can talk at a higher level. Mm -hmm. And well, that comes, yes, I, I can talk for hours and days upon this topic, but if, I mean, for example, if you're in a business that caters to an older generation, they're probably not going to be on the app store. They're not going right. to be using apps. However, if you're targeting that younger generation or um, the Facebook generation, so to speak, now we could be talking a different ballgame. But again, go back, goes back to the industry, what you're trying to accomplish, have a good plan. I think that's, well, statistically, we know uh, the top three reasons small businesses go under. This is to according to a U.S. Chamber of Commerce study. Number one is they're undercapitalized. Number two is poor planning. And number three is bad management. And so much of this falls into that number two poor planning part. You have to have a plan because then you get the tactics to execute. And that's where the scalability comes into play. Right. Yep. That's exactly right. So shifting gears a little bit, you've been a small independent business owner for about eight years or so, right? Yep. Walk us through a little bit of the journey for, for those either just starting off or maybe you know in that first year or two, what are some of the highs and lows of small business ownership? I mean, because one of the highs we've heard people say, hey, there's nothing better than having a good long day of work. You've closed a new sale. You delivered a product or service. The client's super pumped. Your family's happy. You're providing for your family. You get to go to the zoo midweek next week because you have the flexible work schedule. And then we've had people like the lows at the all-time low was I was battling depression. I mean, it was like the, the extremes are just insane. So in your experience, what are some of the highs and lows of small business ownership? It's certainly a roller coaster ride, that's for sure. Um, you know, the, obviously the highs are always getting business. You know, in a in a retail environment, obviously every individual sale um, is you, you can't really celebrate all of them. I mean, obviously in my business, I'm not doing thirty sales a day, right? You know, I, I, that'd be great, but uh, I couldn't even handle that kind of workload with the infrastructure I have right now. Uh, but, you know, the lows, I mean, it can be lonely for sure, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you don't want to bring, you know, my, I don't want to bring my wife down by dumping my problems on her. Right. Um, because it's, unless you're a business owner and you're in this position, it's really hard to understand what you're feeling because it's your baby. Um, you know, uh, I've been lucky enough at this point to not have anybody leave me any bad reviews, knock on wood. Um, but you know, you can't please everybody. 
you know, all you can do is, is do your best. You know, I, I tell everybody act with integrity as long as you're doing the right things and you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to do the best job you can for everybody, then that's, that's really all you can do. And I think you brought up a good point and, you know, kind of weather the storm, so to speak, there is the other side. I mean, for every downturn that you have, there's an upturn following it. Now it can be hard. It can be really, really difficult and intense, but there's no way out, but through And I think you also brought up a really good point with um, being, you know, kind of getting that sense of loneliness. That's a really common one we hear people talk about, especially for months six through 18. The first six months you're riding the high of starting a business. It's exciting. It's new. It's fresh, so on and so forth. But month six is kind of when it starts to get real. It's like, okay, now we really got to kick this thing into gear. We're putting in the long hours. And again, talk about another misnomer in small business. So many people start off and they're like, we're going to be profitable in three months. Well, kudos to you if you are. Statistically, it's getting closer to two years. And what's the old saying? Overnight success is seven years. I mean, you're at year eight. I mean, your business didn't come to fruition overnight. No business does. And it's just to your point about the whole sense of lo loneliness. Being a small business owner can get lonely, especially during the dark times. But that's when you have to have that community, your your peers, so to speak, your people. You have that inner circle that you can lean on for support and vice versa. Right. Having a, a network of people that are going through the same thing that, you know, that you're going through is is important because people that have nine to five jobs don't understand what it means to be responsible for everything. Right. They, they go in, they punch a clock, they do their job. And you've got to have a lot of people of those because small businesses need those people too. But your business is not their baby. Right. And if your business goes under, they'll just go get a job someplace else. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you're going to have to go get a job someplace else too. Uh, but, you know, un unfortunately, I I'll have to say this. I, I don't even know if I'm employable right now um, just because I'm so used to working my own schedule, coming, going as I please. I, I don't know if I'd be able to work for somebody else right now and punch a clock for somebody else. So, you know, when you, when you have wins, they're great. When you have losses, you just have to get, you have to get to the point where you understand that you're not always going to win. Right. And, and you just live the fight another day, right? You, you get back out there and you go find another opportunity or, or whatever. I had a very large deal I was working on too. I've had two very large deals that I was working on and, you know, it never got anywhere, it never went anywhere. Just the, the customer wasn't ready to act or they didn't have the information they needed. And um, I actually got a call from Amazon one time about building an app for them. And I got all excited because, I mean, how often do you get a call from a Fortune 20 company, right? Right. Um, but really all they were doing was picking my brain for information because they didn't know the answers. You know, so it is what it is. You get the excitement of getting the phone call, but hey, at least I know SEO works. <laughs> well, exactly, right? Exactly. Well, again, that, that's called, it's, it's keeping, the, keeping that balanced mindset, that balanced emotional state because you're going to have these right. crazy up and downs. But you have to realize you're in this for the long haul. That's another thing. Small business ownership isn't meant to be a quick flip investment. I mean, there have been people who, who have done it, but that's not the usual journey. The usual journey is a long, extended period of time, of long hours. The good news is you're pursuing your passion, but it takes time. It's not something they just flip a switch overnight. Right. You know, so, and, and after this amount of time, I don't let the losses affect me as bad as, as hard as I used to. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to affect me a lot more. I would say it's probably been a few years now that I, I've just gotten to the point where I'm like, I can't allow myself to get down if I don't get a deal or if something goes bad because you, you've got to just get back up and keep going because, you know, okay, if you lose a customer, everybody loses customers. It's inevitable. Um, exactly. Matter of fact, most businesses are going to lose 80% of all their customers within 10 years due to no fault of their own for whatever reason. They could move or go out of business or, I mean, it could be a wide range of, of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point, you know, I mean, you just, it is what it is. You move on and go after another customer. It's all you can do. I mean, right. sitting down and for lack of a better term, you know, crying about the loss, it doesn't do anything. It can hurt and it can hurt right. bad, but you got to pick yourself up and go chase the next one. I think that's, an, I mean, to your point, one of the analogies I think is helpful is kind of thinking of baseball statistics. When you see really successful batters or something or a slugger, you're like, oh man, they got, they're doing well. They're like 80% success. The batting average is like your 30s or 20s even. Right. And you're like, that's a good batting average, but that welcome if, to business if you have a 300 again. batting average 30 percent batting average that's one of the best hitters in the league right yeah um you know i you know closing deals you know when i was managing salespeople at yellow book you know i said it's all in the numbers right selling new business is all about numbers it's how many people you go out and talk to and you know how many people do you need to talk to to set an appointment and how many appointments do you need to close a deal and the better at sales you get, the less number of people you need to get those appointments and the less appointments you need to get a sale. So a new rep might need 20 door swings to get an appointment and they might need five appointments to close one deal. Well, that's a hundred people you need to talk to before you're closing a deal. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a lot of activity, but as you get more experienced and you know what people want to hear and you know how to talk to people about what you're, you're presenting them. Uh, you won't need a hundred people. Maybe you can narrow that down to 50 or 60, which is a huge difference. Oh, for sure. Well, that's cutting it in half almost. Right. You and know, that, go ahead. Yeah. I was just saying and that that's what I always stress to the reps was, is just focus on the numbers. And then once you know what your numbers are, you can start, tweaking it and tracking it from there and see if, if you're improving on what you're doing. And that's such a, another one we could talk days about the importance of tracking data. If you yeah. don't track your data, if you don't have metrics, you don't have numbers, you can't make any definitive conclusions. You're always going to be guessing. And that just leads you into bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. I'm shocked at the number of people we talk to where there's literally no data tracking whatsoever. Um, it, anything from leads to website visits to social media likes. I mean, it's even though, as you know, a lot of this can be automated and you can simply log in, look it up, have it pulled up in 15, 30 seconds. There's very little tracking and that you're, it's, there's so much missed opportunity. I, I think the problem is, is and, and it, I guess what most small business owners struggle with is delegating duties to people because you get so busy doing what you do every, every day that, you know, to think about stopping what you're doing and logging in to go track that in for, to check the information, right? Unless you schedule that kind of activity into your planner, it's very easy to get sidetracked and onto the next task and onto the next task. And then, you know, and next thing you know, you're like, wow, I haven't looked at my web analytics in like six months. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and if you're not looking at it, that's obviously not that important to you because, right, if, if it was important, you would look at it. Um, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a question of monitor, monitoring what's important to you. And, and obviously numbers are important. Uh, at Yellow Book, I mean, we were ridiculously drilling down the numbers to everything, to renewals and increase and new sales. I mean, changing your renewal by 0.5% could impact your overall revenue by X amount of dollars. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's... The devil's in the details. It doesn't right. take much to move the needle, if you're, especially if you're talking an extended period of time. But all the more reason, that's why you got to track the data. That's why you have to have the plan. You have to, for lack of a better analogy, know your funnel. If you don't know right. what end you're shooting for, you won't know what strategy is going to work best. If you don't know what strategy is going to work best, you won't be able to use the appropriate tactics, and then it's doomed to fail from the beginning. And not lying to yourself, too. Oh um, I, I used to kind of ask reps, you know, we, we would get together and get prepared to have their benchmark review for a, a sales campaign. And I say, well, let's take a look at your, your new business pipeline. And then I start going down the list of names on their new business pipeline. And, and then they say, well, I'm, I'm meeting with this guy on Friday. I'm meeting with that guy next Tuesday. I'm meeting. Wait, so you haven't met with them yet? No. Then why are they on your pipeline? Because you can't possibly say that they're a pipeline candidate if you haven't even met with them yet. So is this really a pipeline or is this a pipe dream? <laughs> that's a really good differentiator. Right. And that that's important because just because you wrote a name down on there because you don't want your benchmark review to look bad, <laughs> that doesn't mean that you're any better off than you were before. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that, that not lying about things to satisfy somebody else's desire to have numbers be where they are is 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 important they need to be accurate numbers right. because we're using the numbers not as a judgment tool but as a method to say is what we're doing actually working because if it's not right. it's okay we'll make a change but what the worst thing you can do is when you get data that shows one thing it's your point and then you go back and dig into it you're like wait a second this data is completely inaccurate or it's greatly misleading that can hinder your growth. That can kill your growth. Even worse, it can cause the, it can cause decrease and shrinkage. And that's that, well, the that's whole point. Of like the benchmark review wasn't to beat up the rep and say, "Hey, you're doing a terrible job." It was to say, "Hey, if you don't change your trajectory, you're not going to hit your objective." I can tell you that right now, without even playing out the next eight weeks, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're going to miss your objective. Because your renewal is going to be X and your increase is going to be X. And if your renewal and increase are X, the only way you can make up the extra revenue is how? With new business. And if you're sitting here telling me that you only have $4,000 in new business to come in and we need eight, well, you're not going to get it from renewal. You're not going to get it from increase. So I guess we need to get out there and swing a whole bunch more doors, right? And that's where it comes down to structured growth too. I mean, so whenever we try to help people create performance and financial forecasts, they were like, well, okay, what's what's reasonable growth expectation? People will throw out a number, five, 10%. Okay, well, that's a good goal. How are we going to get there? Or we're going to work hard. Well, I'm glad you're going to work hard, but let's, let's get into the, right. why do we think we can hit five to 10% growth? Because to your point again, Mike, if there's no metric, you're increasing five or 10% or something along those lines, 
this is not a reasonable expectation. You have to have right. the metric. You have to, again, back to data tracking. Right. If you've sold one new or two new a month for the last three months, and you need eight new in the next two months, we got to step it up a little bit, right? So, you know, I mean, it, there's really no way to fudge the numbers. And, and you know, you can fudge them all you want. And, and we get through the benchmark review and maybe you pull the wool over somebody's eyes during the benchmark review. But at the end of the campaign, you're still going to end up where, you sit, where you're going to end up. There's nothing you can change that unless you make the changes. And that's where you have to have the honest data. Right. And I want, I want to circle back to a point you made earlier because you're very intentional about this. We were talking about peers and surrounding yourself with good people. How do you go about surrounding yourself with good people? I mean, because that's obviously something you want to vet a little bit. You don't want to just blindly jump into a group and be like, oh, it's going to be the perfect group. You want to vet it a little bit. How do you go about that process? Well, I join, um, I, I, I attend, I guess is a better way to put it, uh, several different networking groups uh, here locally. Um, knowing a bunch of the people that are in the group helps me know a little bit more about what the group is made of. Um, you know, I, I, I don't attend certain groups simply because I can tell that the members that are attending it aren't as serious about it as I am. Um, you know, and, you know, for me, that's, that's a, a deal killer. You know, if, if I'm going to put in the time and the effort and, and the commitment to be at the meetings and, and do all the things that I'm there to do, then I would expect other members to do the same. Um, obviously, you know, referrals are a big piece of knowing, of getting to know somebody and building that trust. Um, you know, if I get referrals, you know, recommendations from certain people, I pretty much assume that that, that person is going to be on point because I know that. You know, for instance, you know, people from Master Networks, they're, they're not going to refer me to somebody that they don't trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you, you trust people, uh, it, but uh, up to a point, but you do have to do some vetting and, you know, and, and even with the best possible vetting, you still might find that somebody's not quite the person that you thought they were. And that's just a matter of, you know, time and investing and paying attention yeah, you you never know until you try, and there's right. nothing to lose by trying. Okay, no, that that's helpful though, because I think that's one of the one of the really important things for people to be able to find peers, find people they can relate with, people who get the same, who get them, who are kind of preferably in a somewhat similar situation. You obviously want to surround yourself with people you can learn from, but you also want to surround yourself with people who kind of get your situation. To your earlier point about you know, you know the the spouse really understanding the business. It's a very unique dynamic for sure. It's very unique. And they don't, the spouse doesn't even necessarily have to understand the business. It's just understand the struggles that you go through as a business owner in, in what you go through on a daily basis. You know, um, you know, my wife works nine to five for a, an insurance company and, you know, very large insurance company. And, you know, their micromanagement style is i mean i i couldn't last a week there with right. with the amount of micromanagement that they put in so while she's used to this environment i'm the exact opposite you know like i said i don't know if i'm even employable by anybody now because you know if they would track her 
keystrokes and mouse movement to make sure that she was active on her computer working from home. You know, I'm like, I, if anybody was tracking my mouse movement, then I'd be like, no, I, I, you know, I, I, it's amazing that the difference that, you know, so in, in networking with people that are like-minded and in similar situations is crucial because I, obviously I couldn't go to a networking meeting or something with a whole room full of people that work nine to five. Right. And expect that they're going to understand and be able to give me feedback to help my business. It's a very different set of pro, a very different set of problems. Yes, they can right. bring some unique perspectives, but they not, might not be relevant to the situation. Right. No, that makes absolute sense. So we've got about ten to fifteen minutes left here. This is personally my my favorite part of the podcast. Based on your experiences as a small business owner. What would you recommend? What are three things you would recommend to other small business owners that they should start doing now if they're not already doing it? Depending on the business, but the first thing is set up processes. Oh, yeah. Um, that you can repeat over and over and over and over and over again. Um, I can't tell you how much time I've wasted redoing the same thing over again until I figured out to be smart about it and put together a, a cheat sheet that allowed me to literally walk through the steps or hand that cheat sheet off to somebody else and say, do this and here's what you need to do and just give them the directions and they can mm -hmm. go in and they can, they can take care of it really quick. Uh, if you don't put processes in place, um, you know, it's really going to bog you down and, and automate some of it too, right? For sure. Heck yeah. So that, you know, it's working for you without you having to impact it. I, I, I've automated as much of my business as I possibly can. I think um, that's one of the biggest things that small business, independently owned small businesses like. It's that process. It's the set of processes. The way we like to explain it is say, we like to say those processes are what differentiate a business from a gig or a side hustle. Right. If you really want to just be in a gig or side also, there's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you need to understand the limitations of that and the, the limits it places on your growth. If you want to scale your business and take it to that next level, you've got to have those processes. Yep, absolutely. You can't scale without it. I mean, oh, no. there's only there's only so many hours in the day you can work. And, you know, unless you want to work from 6 o'clock in the morning until midnight every day, you know, you got to do something different. Exactly. And, and I didn't get into business for myself to work from six o'clock in the morning until midnight every day. Right. Exactly. We all start for our own dream for this vision that we have. But if right. you want to achieve it, if you want to grow it, you've got to have a process. Yep. I would say another big thing is delegating out tasks that are not are, that, that you are better tasks that other people are better suited to handle allowing you to tackle the bigger problems mm -hmm. i mean as a business owner you need to be the one focusing on the most important things in your business precisely you know i don't want to say menial tasks but less important tasks need to be handed over to other people so that they can they can take care of that minutiae the grind so to speak so that you're freed up to go out and do what you should be doing which is getting new customers and building your business Exactly. And it goes back to your point about delega delegation. Right. You want to delegate the things that slow you down or that you're not particularly good at or things that other people can do just as good as you can or close to it. You want to focus your time and effort on the things that no one else can do but you. And to your point, most of the time, 
it's going to be that sales world. It's going to be that brand marketing, so to speak. It's going to be the face out there. Every now and then, you'll see a business owner where it's like they're hands on the best coder, for example. Find the things that you can have someone else do that they can do similar a similar job of quality to what you do and delegate it out again otherwise you'll never grow beyond yourself and again that translates more into a gig if you don't do that right and again there's only so many hours in a day exactly and, and how many hours in the day do you want to work right um mm -hmm. you know i mean and you could you, you're probably the same way i could probably work 16 hours every day non-stop and still feel like i'm not getting everything done but at some point you have to say, you know, when do I stop and, you know, enjoy what it is I got in the business for myself in the first place, which is to be able to enjoy, you know, spend more time with my family and have more control over my life. Um, so working 16 hour days is not something that I'm really excited about. Um, you know, I, I'd say the last thing that I see a lot on a lot of Facebook groups in people that are in my business. So I mean, maybe it translates into others is having agreements set up for clients. Um, you know, being in the web business, uh, you know, we get people that ask all the time, well, this is going on with a client. And on the first question, we always ask them, do you have an agreement with the customer? And they're like, no, I'm like, well, you're done. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't have an agreement that, delineates all of the different things that you need to have nailed down in your agreement you're 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 gonna lose somewhere during your time in business <laughs> that's for sure it's gonna it's gonna hurt sometime no doubt about it and i think it's something most small business owners want to be able to do handshake business and there's something special about right. that i'll admit it however if you're going to be real and serious about your business you've got to have those agreements in place right. because it's that's the expectations it clearly outlines what is to be delivered what should be expected that way when something comes up number one you know how to deal with it but the number right. two again it's setting the stage it's setting the narrative for a good business relationship you are giving me this in return for this. Yep. Yeah. And, and I've changed mine and added new, oh, yeah. new, uh, new terms in my terms and conditions. You know, one, and I'll throw this out there. If you do business with people in other states, put a clause in your contract that says that any legal issues that come up as a result of this agreement will be settled in your hometown because if you don't and you end up needing to sue somebody and they're from another state guess where you have to go to court exactly it's going to be and in their backyard. it costs you immense amount of money to go to court in another state and you know i've lost way more money than i want to even think about because of I, I do business with people in all over the United States. Right. And, you know, what is the likelihood that I'm going to collect money from a guy in New Jersey? Right. I mean, it's slim to none. Exactly. So, um, I, I added that into my agreement after I got burned a couple of times. And I said, you know, what? that's not going to happen again. So now if, if somebody in New Jersey doesn't want to pay their bill, right, I can sue them here in my local court mm -hmm. and they're the ones that have to incur the expense of coming all the way across country to go to court if they're going to show up 
And if they don't, well, then there's going to be a judgment against them, and then you go down that road. But at least then you have control over it, and your expense to collect the money, if you're ever going to collect it, is much less. For sure. And I think another thing, back to your, uh, you know, back to your earlier point, processes are going to change. The business model will change. I think it's a, it's another one of those misnomers. You put something in place and you don't touch it. No, our economy is too dynamic for that. Our economy is continually changing based upon various different components. The processes, the terms, the agreements, the templates, they will change. Maybe it'll be slight. Maybe it'll be significant. But again, it's about having structure. It's that clean structure that's repeatable, predictable, scalable. Then you've got a real business. If you don't have those things, it's more of a gig. Yeah. I mean, I thought I had a good agreement when I first started and then I got burned and I added another term into my, in another statement in my term. Then I got burned again. So I added another one, you know, so I think at this point, I'm pretty confident that what I have for an agreement is, is pretty solid and will get me through any, anything, but you know, those are those trials and tribulations you deal with that you don't think about when you start your business. You know, collecting money is not something you think about until the time to have to collect said money comes up. And they're not um, paying. And then it's like, wait a second, what happened to our agreement? And then you right. go, well, I didn't and, have one. And, uh, then you're yeah. And, and if you got a client that's 1,500 miles away, you know, and you don't have any clause in your contract that really, I mean, obviously agreements are agreements and, and you could sue them for not following through on their their right. end of the agreement, but you'd have to file a lawsuit in New Jersey, you know? So instead of filing $60 or something locally, I got to file for two, $300 just to file. And then I have to f travel up to New Jersey to go to court, you know, which is the expense of that. I mean, after that, I mean, there's, it's not even worth it. The money they owe me is less than what it would cost me to sue them. Oh, exactly. And again, it's one of those things in business and life in general. Right. Mistakes are going to happen. Just don't make the same mistake twice. Once is a mistake. Two is a trend. Three is a pattern. Once you get to two or three, you got to make a change. Right. Good yep. stuff. Mike, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to kind Appreciate of share the business life story with us. And obviously those tips for small business owners are applicable. They're real and they can be implemented right away. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Appreciate your having me. The honor is mine. You stay safe, stay blessed, and we'll be in touch soon. You got it. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.